This English lesson is brought to you by the KwaZulu-Natal Department of Education. My name is Radel Gavinder. I'm Pravina Chetty. And I'm Jacqueline Naika. We're going to be teaching you English home language. And our section for today's lesson is on the analysis of paper one. Okay, the paper that we're going to be referring to is the NSC paper for November 2018. So before we start, please make sure that you have the paper in readiness so that you can refer to it. You may obtain the paper from the government website, um, education.gov.za. We're now going to begin with question 1.1 and how you should approach this when in an examination. Now, please note that questions 1 up until question 1.1 to 1.4 are the easier questions in the examination and therefore you should get this full marks for this type of question. We're going to start with question 1.1. If you look at your paper, question 1.1 states, account for the writer's feelings. And that question is awarded two marks. Now this is how the two marks are distributed. Although the question does not require it, it is imperative that you indicate what the writer's feelings are. For example, is the writer thrilled by the idea or has he, does he have a negative attitude towards something? Generally, your first step is to comment on what the writer's feelings are. The next is to account for. Whenever you see the words account for, it means say why. So here you need to say, for example, why is the writer excited or why is he sad? What governs his particular feelings? And this will give you two marks. So it's one mark for naming the feeling and the second mark is awarded to saying why the writer feels in a particular way. We move on, on now to question 1.2. Question 1.2 is, explain what the writer means by the young men and women seem lost in the designer clothes, dwarfed and de dehumanized by their possessions as if ownership has gone into reverse. Now, one of the key points of this question is that it has a trigger word, which is means, which gives you the indication that you need to give an explanation or show that you understand the meaning of these particular words. Now, some tips to help you in this question is to look at the key words here, dwarfed and dehumanized. One key skill that you can use in these questions is whenever you see vocabulary questions is focus on breaking them down. Dehumanized has a prefix, D-E. Humanized is obviously to do with humans. If it has D-E in front of it, it means not human. So to dehumanize would be to make less human. Dwarf, in the word dwarfed, is also shorter or less than. So possessions seem to make people less than their normal selves. If we look at the answer, it says that the possessions seem to own the person who has been dwarfed. The youth have become less human, which is dehumanized by their possessions as ownership has been reversed. Please concentrate on the key words in the question as these will help you gain the marks you need. We'll now move on to 
For question 1.3, the question is, discuss the point the writer is making in lines 14 to 15. A photograph whose purpose is to illustrate plenty seems instead to depict a void. Now, learners, one of the things that we encourage you to do when answering any question in a comprehension is to use the Peel method. Point, evidence, explain, and then link back to the point. This question lends itself to that idea very well. For example, the answer to the question is, it is ironic that while these young people intend flaunting their abundant possessions, they actually reveal how empty their lives are. So the point is that there is irony in that statement. Whenever you have irony in a question, always use but, however, although to give evidence or explain the irony. So it is ironic that your point while these young people intend flaunting their abundant possessions, that's the evidence, they actually reveal how empty their lives are. That's the explanation. And there we've linked that explanation back to the point that we've made, which is the irony. We'll move on to question 1.4. Question 1.4 is, refer to paragraphs 3, 4 and 5. Explain the writer's purpose in referring to various research findings. Should you get this type of question in any examination, note that this is a technical type of question. And whenever you get this type of question, offer the same type of response. So really, the purpose of research findings is to provide convincing evidence, to authenticate, to support, to validate, or to lend credibility to the writer's argument. So when you come across research questions, just provide this generic response and you will get two marks. Now for questions 1.1 up until 1.4, note that it is just two marks each. Do not spend a lot of time re stating what you have already done. Once you've covered your argument, move on to the next question because far too often we find that the candidate says too much and the two mark is already given in the first two lines of the answer. A lot of time is therefore wasted recasting what has already been said. We now move on to question 1.5. In question 1.5, there are very important issues to consider. The first point in this question is the asking of in your view, which means you now have to give your opinion, learner. The other important issues are the words distinguish and then obviously consumers and citizens. Now, many times when students see the word distinguish, they tend to define the terms or give the meaning of them. However, this is not what is required in the question. A key tip for you would be to remember, distinguish has a synonym in the fact of contrast. And to distinguish means to tell us why the writer gives different views of these two concepts. Why is he bringing about or showing us different views of them? Now, it requires an analysis of diction. 
And it also needs you to understand the connotation of words. Now at grade 12, connotation is not merely understanding the meaning of the word in the dictionary. It also leaves you to understand the meaning of the feelings and positive and negative attributes of a word. For instance, consumers is considered to have a negative connotation in this passage because consumers are viewed as those who purchase goods without discernment or without thinking about it. They are self-observed individuals and more competitive and more selfish. So the writer wants to show this. Citizens, however, carry a positive connotation because they think about what they are doing and how it will add value to the society. Learn to differentiate these concepts and show the contrast between them. We move on to 1.6. 1.6 is a technical type of question. When I say it is technical, what I mean is that these are terminology or concepts that you should learn before you approach your paper one. Terms like irony, paradox, pun, and so on. So in this question, the question is discuss the paradox in paragraph seven. You need to know what a paradox is. A paradox is a seemingly absurd or contradictory statement or proposition, which, when investigated, may prove to be well-founded or true. Like irony, when answering a question with paradox in it, try to include the words yet, however, but. And that allows you to ensure that your answer, your response, shows a discrepancy. You need to know what these words mean. Just like any other subject, you have to study this beforehand. So the answer for this question is that the research findings are contrary to what people believe. There's the paradox part. Materialism is associated with happiness. However, materialism is the enemy of fulfillment. Note how the response refers to the contrast, the contrary idea, and notice how the response has included the word however. Now, with English, the memo does account for alternative answers. What is very important is the manner in which you express those answers. So how you put it across. You need to show us in your response that you understand paradox, contradiction, and that you are able to show it in your response using the evidence from paragraph 7 that you are able to show the discrepancy. So the other two alternatives could be people turn to consumerism to fill their loneliness yet this consumerism makes them lonelier and isolated, or a consumer journal should promote consumerism, yet this one publishes negative viewpoints on consumerism, so it discourages consumerism. Thank you. We'll move on to question 1.7. Question 1.7 says, refer to paragraph 8, critically comment on two elements of style used by the writer in this paragraph. Now, before we proceed with the response, I'm going to tell you how we mark this question. If you merely identify two elements of style, you will be given one mark. If you identify both elements of style and provide a comment, 
it's going to give you two marks. The key word here is to critically comment. What does critically mean? When you respond to a question that involves the word critical, you need to ascertain whether what the writer says works or does not work. If it works, tell us why. If it does not work, tell us why as well. So you're going to get one mark if for mere identification of the two elements of style. The second mark will come for the identification of the style and a comment. And the third mark is going to arise from the word critical. Now let's look at style that is used by any writer across any form of writing. The style could include the following. Diction, which is emotive words. If you look at the 2018 paper, some of the words used are distressed, forces, and smashes. So if you've used written that the writer has used strong emotive words such as distressed, you will get one mark. Sorry, strong emotive work will get you one mark. Distressed will get you the other. The third mark will arise from it effectively conveys a sense of destruction. The second type of style that would be used is punctuation. What punctuation marks does the writer use to get his point across? It could be rhetorical questions, exclamation marks, and ellipsis, but to name a few. In this particular passage, the writer uses a short exclamation mark. There is no end to it. What does it suggest? It suggests his exasperation with the fact that people lapse into consumerism all the time. The third style that a writer could use is the use of personal pronouns. In a lot of comprehension passages, we find the use of personal pronouns. So you would state that the use of the personal pronoun, such as I or we, engages the reader. It creates a conversational style. Now, what does a conversational style do? Does a conversational style work? Yes, it does. Why? Because it creates a bond of confidence between the reader and the writer, or it reinforces the authenticity of what the writer is saying. Another type of style would be metaphorical language. Does the writer perhaps use hyperbole, satire, or sarcasm? In this case, the writer uses a satirical remark. And this is where he says a Rolex short of contentment. What does this suggest? It suggests the greedy nature of materialism, the insatiable, unquenchable need to acquire more and more things. And therein lies your critical comment. Then you could perhaps look at, as another form of style, the structure of the paragraph. How does the writer use the paragraph to reinforce his argument? Are the sentences short? Is it long? What does this do in terms of lending credibility to what the writer has said? So please note 
that in this particular question, you need to first identify the stylistic device, state what it is, and then explain why it adds to the writer's purpose or point of view. Let's now move on to question 1.8. Question 1.8 talks about the conclusion. Is paragraph 10 a suitable conclusion to the article as a whole? Justify your response for three marks. Now, this is a technical question because you would need to know the definition of a conclusion or purpose of conclusion. These questions appear quite often in these papers. Knowing the definition of conclusion or an introduction can gain you quick marks in this section. Whenever you see a question about the conclusion, think summarize. What is summarizing? How is it doing this? Summarize the point of the article. What is the writer summarizing here? Well, in this case, the writer summarizes the adverse or negative impact of materialism. Justify this. He refers to the initial image of deluded youth and expands his focus to the broader society. He also draws the reader into his argument through the use of the first-person pronouns. And the writer contends that every member of society falls prey to the destructive cycle of materialism. Now, what is the aim of this conclusion? What did the writer intend for you to feel or to do after this passage? Does the conclusion fulfill its aim? Do you feel this way? How do you know this? Give evidence from the text in order to gain those marks. We move on to question 1.9. For question 1.9, the question reads, Explain how the thought bubbles of the two characters convey their attitudes toward the film. The key word in this question is attitude. What does attitude mean? Before you attempt paper one, in your revision or consolidation program, what you need to do is ensure that you understand again those terminologies, tone, attitude, and so on. So go through suitable adjectives for the attitude. Um, you could always look at past papers, look at questions and attitude. You could ask your teacher to assist you with a set of attitude words. Remember, attitude means a suitable adjective. So in this question, you're looking at the two characters and you have to show how their attitudes are conveyed, are shown. Um, if you don't know who the two, um, if you don't know the two characters, perhaps it may be a familiar cartoon that they've used in the text or familiar characters. So you could give the names. But if you don't know the characters, what you could do in your response is to use directional phrases. So the character on the left or the character on the right. So you only provide an explanation of the, of the thought bubbles in terms of the attitude. So let's look at the response. The viewer on the left, there's the directional phrase, is disgusted. There's the adjective, the attitude, by what he is viewing. Now you need to explain why he is disgusted. He views the characters in the film as shameful criminals. The viewer on the right is enthusiastic, is engaged. There's the attitude. Why? He enjoys or he is susceptible to this lavish lifestyle. Now you need to sort of give a critical comment on it. So the viewer on the left embodies the morally correct reaction to what he is viewing. So again, you have to show us that, particularly in English home language, that you understand what is beyond the text 
And here we can very clearly see that the attitudes of the two characters convey um, a particular response to what they are seeing. So one is a moral sort of response to it. It's conveyed because he's disgusted by it and he can identify that they are shameful criminals in that versus the view on the right who is a lot more enthusiastic because he's easily manipulated by that lavish lifestyle. We'll move on to question 1.10. Question 1.10 reads, critically discuss the cartoonist message in text B. It is awarded three marks. I'm going to now explain to you how you will arrive at the three marks. A mere identification of the cartoonist message will get you one mark. To get the two marks, you need to provide a further discussion or evaluation. Remember earlier, we said that the word critically involves you indicating whether the idea works or does not work and you providing reasoning for it. In other words, provide an evaluation. In this particular example, what is the cartoonist's message? His message is the, that he is critical of the public's gullibility and lack of discernment. Stating that, will award be, you will be awarded one mark. For the other two marks, you must actually indicate that it suggests that the public are unable to think critically or that they are easily manipulated by what they see. That is your second mark. Your third mark arises from the fact of the influence of the film industry on social conscience. So if you look at this, there are three parts to this particular response, and each is awarded one mark. So the first mark is awarded to the public's gullibility, their second to their lack of judgment, and the third is that they are influenced negatively by the film industry. It is easy to get three marks provided you follow that simple rule. We now move on to question 1.11. Question 1.11 deals with the link between text B and text A. Now, this is a question that most students struggle with because they fail to place references on both in their questions. To what extent does text B support the title and paragraph 1 of text A? Motivate your response. Now, please take note that this question is four marks. Many learners offer a partial response to this type of question. You need to read carefully as you need to refer to the title and paragraph 1 of text A. You cannot just merely state that paragraph or that text B supports text A. In addition, we need to make sure that you have enough justification to prove your answer. Now, text B portrays the manner in which our morals are compromised by, the crea by creating the images of materialism. The opulent lifestyle of villains is seen as desirable. Now, we go back to text A. The headline of text A refers to the effect of a materialistic society. Moral decay erodes our humanity via the imagination, eats us from the inside out. The possessions idolized by the rich kids of Instagram are similar to the desired lifestyle in text B. 
in both texts, materialism is acceptable when it is glamorized. Both the writer and the cartoonist disapprove of our mindless acceptance of materialism. Always refer to both texts. Use words like similarly, as in the text, in the same way. Look for the common aspects or messages or alternate ones. Only refer to the parts of the text specified in the question. I cannot emphasize enough the need for you to carefully look at what is required for this question. Not all questions like this require you to find similarities between text A and text B. Likewise, not all texts are going to agree with each other. Please look at the words. Sometimes they may ask you to contrast. Look at what is required and make sure you substantiate using both texts. Before we conclude the comprehension section, I would like to just move around to each of us so that we can offer you just some final tips when approaching the comprehension paper. Mrs. Chetty, anything for our learners? Yes. First and foremost, learners, please note that you are to be governed by the mark scheme. Very often, the comprehension, when learners answer the comprehension, it goes into five and six pages. And that is problematic because you do not do justice to questions four and five, which you inevitably leave out. So when you are answering the comprehension, identify the mark scheme. And if it's two, you should have two points. If it's three marks, you should have three points. And once you've done that, move on to the next question. Sometimes when we are marking your papers at the end of the year, we find that after you've written about three lines, you've already gotten your two marks, but you then proceed to reiterate what you've said before. And unfortunately, all of that is time wasted. Jackie? Do you have anything to say? I would like to advise students to learn or to revise questions of the technical type. They are always going to be coming out in the paper. Questions on conclusions, on the appropriateness of titles, on why the writer would include research. If you understand these concepts, these questions will be easier to answer in the exam. Another tip that I would like you to focus on is trying to learn how to skim and scan that passage to gain information from it quickly and accurately. A lot of time is lost by students who want to read the passage too deeply or too carefully in the attempt to answer the questions and thereafter lose time in answering them. Please be wary of your time Practice writing this paper in the time that is given so that when you are in the exam session, your mind has already encountered the time limits and is focused on answering quickly, accurately and in a well-substantiated way. Um, I think just a few concluding things that I would like to draw learners' attention to. Firstly, you've got to revise the instructional verbs and I cannot stress that enough. I think one of the key things about this paper and in particular the comprehension is that many learners become intimidated by those instructional verbs, account for, analyze, critically discuss. There is no need to be intimidated by that. Every question 
has uh, an opportunity for you to engage with it and therefore score a mark. But if you practice past papers, so if you go onto the government website and look at past NSC exams, you actually encourage yourself to face those questions without becoming intimidated. So you expose yourself to more instructional verbs like account for, analyze, critically discuss. And so by the time you get to that paper, you've overcome that anxiety. And also, you pick up key ways of approaching those questions because as Mrs. Chetty mentioned when, for example, she looked at the stylistic questions or when you look at technical questions like, for example, questions with research, um, there are specific phrases that you can always use, adds credibility, adds authenticity. So go over those things. You know, preparation makes perfect. Never leave a question out particularly in comprehension. Um, Always attempted. Pass papers, pass papers, pass papers. We find that generally the performance in paper one is not as it should be. And the problem for this largely is because candidates take this for granted. Learners, you have to prepare for paper one like you do any other examination. Please do not assume that English home language is a paper or a subject that you do not have to prepare for. Just as much as you prepare for physical science and mathematics, you need to sit down and prepare for this particular paper. Now, my suggestion is that as the two previous speakers have indicated that you need to do past year papers. But what I advocate is that you set yourself a time. For example, if you sit down from 8.30 up until 10.30, sit for the full duration of the two hours and answer the paper as best as you can as though you are sitting for your final examinations. Once you've finished that paper, then you go down, you can download the marking memo and mark your paper accordingly so that you can ascertain how you perform. I promise you that if you do this regularly and consistently, you will find a remarkable improvement in, in your performance over a period of time. It is also imperative that you study examination terminology. So what does the word discuss? Evaluate, evaluate or critically discuss mean so that when you get these instructional verbs in an examination, it becomes a lot easier for you because you already know what the expectations are. Comprehension, learners generally perform well there. However, sometimes they are overwhelmed by the vocabulary in the paper. Do not be. Rather, break down the word and look at it carefully and you will identify what it means. Read the passage initially because it is something that you're going to learn from and you're going to enjoy and thereafter start focusing on the questions. I cannot stress enough the need to go over these papers as Praveena has said in that time limit. What students need to realize is that the brain is a muscle. It does not get into the exam room on the day of your exam and suddenly switch on a magic switch to make you be able to understand and write that paper in the allotted time. You need to practice. Just as if you would take part in a race, you need to practice. Your brain works according to how much practice you have given it. Also, do not be afraid 
of the question words. Effectiveness is not a scary word. Effectiveness just means, does it work? Account for means, give me a reason. And evaluate means, what do you think about this? The paper is not there to trap you. The paper is not there to make you feel stupid, less than, or silly. All we're doing is testing your ability to reason, to link things, and more than anything, we want you to be able to enjoy the text and understand what message it has to offer. We also want you to be critical because you need to, in the outside world, understand what texts are saying and whether you want to agree with them or not. Do not be scared of this paper. You've been persuading and giving reasons for things your whole life. You have the ability to persuade. When you want something badly enough, you are able to persuade. When you want that new phone, you are able to persuade. When you want to go somewhere, you are able to persuade. Use the same attitude. Use the same passion and focus to persuade now to win your argument. We're going to move on to the summary section, section B. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to offer you a step-by-step way of attempting this question. Now, one of the things about the summary question is that it is so easy to score marks in this question because unlike comprehension, for example, you don't have to give a critical response. You merely have to understand what the text is about and extract the information that is required from the instruction um, question in the summary and list those or sorry, set it out in a paragraph form. So um, just some basic guidelines to offer you and then we'll move on um, where Praveena is going to show you how to do um, the first draft and so on. But some basic guidelines for learners is you've got to know how to highlight the instructions in the summary question. The question is set up for you um, to identify what the instruction is. So when you're reading the summary instruction, look for that. What are the instructions? Remember, label your rough work and label your final copy. And also remember that your summary must be set out in a single paragraph. Learners finally never lie in a summary about your word count. Always indicate the correct word count. So those are the kind of five key things that you need to know before you begin your summary writing. Uh, Praveena, you're going to now take us through the first draft. Okay, before I take you to the first draft, I think you need to know firstly how the summary is marked so that you're able to give off your best performance. First and foremost, let me point out that the markers count every single summary. So we count the number of words. Now you may ask, what is going to happen if you've written too many words? That is quite simple. We read, if your summary is 90, we read up to 95 or the last sentence thereof, and we strike off the rest. So we will not credit you for anything after the cutoff point of 95 words. So be very cautious and guarded about that. The summary is marked in terms of seven marks for the points and three marks for language. So when you are planning this summary, 
The first thing you need to do, and we'll go back to the 2018 paper, which says the impact superheroes have on the youth. The key phrase there is impact. You then read your summary the first time just to get a feel of what it is. And then you go about identifying the seven points. Now, when you identify the seven important points, constantly ask yourself, does this point show me the impact superheroes have? If it does not show the impact of the superheroes, then it simply means that that particular sentence has no bearing on the summary. Once you've, As you identify a point, please highlight it. Once you've identified the seven points, then attempt to write those seven points in your own words. But to help you along so that it becomes a little bit easier, if you take your first sentence, all you need to do is you do not have to change every single word in that sentence. Use suitable synonyms to change that particular word. So, for example, if they say that something is beautiful, you can indicate that it looks wonderful or it's picturesque or whatever other suitable word. Provided you do not use the sentence from the first word right up until the last, that then does not disqualify you. Remember that if you use a quote, it must be quoted from the very first word right up until the last word. If you take your first sentence and you recast it, or you change a few words there with suitable synonyms, then it does not mean that you have quoted. If you do this for the full seven sentences, then you should be fine. However, what we have found is sometimes when learners attempt to rewrite that particular passage or to rephrase it, they change the meaning completely. So to avoid you changing the meaning of what has been said in that passage, it is advisable just to change one or two words. Once you've done that, then you move on to writing out your summary in its final state. But please indicate if it is a draft copy, strike it off so that the examiner knows that that is the draft copy and that we have to mark the final one. And now move on to Jackie. Some tips about the final draft. Um, as Pravina has said, you must strike off your final strike off your first draft. The final must be in the form of a single paragraph. You may also um, delete, put a line across all your previous drafts, as I've said before, so that the marker knows which aspect to mark. Note the use of underlined linking words. Furthermore, moreover, in conclusion, in the paragraph, and a final word of warning, avoid lifting or copying complete sentences from the text. As we've said before, this will lead to you being penalized. Try to rephrase points in your own words and avoid being dishonest by not stating the exact number of words used. The final draft in this case um, reads as children develop reading skills, emotional intelligence and principles when they read about superheroes, their behavior, leadership skills and outlook are influenced. 
Now note the next sentence begins with the linking word furthermore. Youngsters imitating superheroes learn to verbalize a range of feelings. Children learn from superheroes and supervillains how to weigh up situations before acting. The use of another linking word moreover. Moreover, children can role play in larger than life scenarios to discern right from wrong and gain confidence in taking control of circumstances. They can witness the manner in which superheroes extricate themselves from daunting circumstances. And for your final sentence, in conclusion, superheroes with integrity are good role models and reinforce altruism. Thank you, Jackie. I'm going to move on to the next section, which is vis visual literacy. Um, and we're just going to give you a few tips um, in terms of what you need to prepare in order to do well in the section. So when you're at home, what are the kinds of things that you need to revise in order to cope with visual literacy? And we'll go through each of the teachers um, who will then offer some tips. So I'm going to start off with the advertising section. Now, you would have learned this in school. Your teachers would have taught you about the AIDA principle. A for attracting attention. A, attracting attention. So you need to ask yourself, what about the advert attracts my attention? And these are things that you can see, the visual things, the font, the bold print, the shapes, the pictures, um, the people, the celebrities. So what is attracting my attention? What is grabbing my attention? The I stands for interest. So how is this advert sustaining the interest of their target market, of their customers, of their consumers, right? So it could be things like the picture. You know, very often you find these adverts with little babies that look so cute and that uh, kind of gauges your interest, particularly if you're a mother. Um, or maybe if you are really into your fast cars, you'll find one with a really cool super car, which is going to immediately grab your interest. Right. What kinds of promises is the advertiser making? Um, and very often they might even use short little facts. So, um, you know, some scientific evidence that's going to immediately say, oh, this must be believable stuff. So how does how does the advertiser entice the interest of the target market? The D stands for desire. And uh, Jackie mentioned earlier about persuading people. So how do they persuade me? What have they offered me that's going to get me to buy into whatever they're selling? So it could be a promise to be very popular, very beautiful, to be healthy, live a healthy lifestyle, to be successful. Or maybe even you're very environmentally conscious and the advert appeals to that. You know, they use um, products or they use um the, uh, the supplier uses products that are environmentally conscious or you could recycle their plastic bottles, for example. And then the final part of AIDA is A for action. So it calls you to action, either to obtain the product or to use the service that is offered. And they will definitely give you information as to where you need to purchase this. Maybe even there's a special offer or giveaway. Um, so all of those things make up a good advert and you need to revise these things before you attempt the section. You need to know particular terminology. So I'm going to move on to uh, Praveena and she's going to now speak to us about some of those persuasive techniques and some of the terminology. Okay, learners, if you look at this, th these terminologies or these terms, it will help you because every advertisement more or less asks the same questions. In any advertisement, the key aspect 
is the picture, the picture gra- pictures or the photos. Now, the question would be to comment on the visual. When they ask you about the visual, the examiner will inevitably want you to draw a link between the picture and the words. So how does the picture reinforce the words? That's the first thing you've got to establish. If you get a question on visual as well, state, state that it lends credibility, validity, or authenticity. Sometimes a generic response like that, regardless of the advertisement, will just get you one mark. What is the point of the picture? It is to convince, to manipulate, to make something easier to understand, or merely to evoke an emotion in the reader. So if you have these particular ideas at hand, you will use those words to in that particular advert that you have been given. The second thing that an advertiser uses is personal pronouns. These are you, we, us. Now, what? why does he use this? He wants to share a common point of view a, to show us personal involvement. Again, it makes the advertisement more credible. It directly involves the reader so that we participate in whatever it is. Perhaps it is a shared concern. So whenever you see the use of personal pronouns, respond that it makes the advertisement credible. The reader is directly involved. It engages the reader so that perhaps the advertisement is about recycling so that the reader would actually go on now and think about the concept of recycling. Sometimes in an advertisement, the writer may use literally devices or expressions or clever sayings. Why does the writer use these? It is to to impress somebody, to imprint an idea in somebody's mind. It makes you remember or it makes the advertiser look very smart in using these literary expressions. And so when you as a reader look at the smartness or the critical thinking there, you inevitably get drawn into that particular advertisement. Every advertisement makes use of repetition as a persuasive technique. Why? Because repetition makes us familiar with an idea. We are able to recall it. Again, it's credible, it's valid and authentic, and it's to emphasize or highlight a point. Learners, if you look at most advertisements, they use rhetorical questions. What is the purpose of a rhetorical question? It's to incite an emotional response, to involve us directly or personally, and again, to suggest the authenticity in what the writer is saying. Now, if you've looked at it so far, I've used the word authenticity, validity, and reliability several times. Perhaps if you use that, what is the purpose of the rhetorical question? It is to engage the reader. It's to show the authenticity, to involve the reader. If you use those kinds of phrases and then link it to the product being advertised, you will score one or two marks. I'm going to very quickly go over the others. The other is emotive adjectives, you know, um, and usually these are words that will actually provoke an emotional response in you to engage you to participate in whatever the writer is saying. 
and to sway your emotions to a particular point of view. The writer also uses style, various the direct style, the casual style, the conversational style. Sometimes advertisements use number, statistics, or scientific words. And this, again, is to manipulate you into thinking in a particular way and to show that the advert is reliable and that the sources can be authenticated with research evidence. Then you need to look at the font or the punctuation, the style, the manner in which the writer has written it. For example, if in an advert uh, pertaining to women, the font could be very uh, like calligraphy or curly font, and that's to suggest a more feminine approach because your target audience is females and they will inevitably respond to something like that. Lastly, the writer may use celebrities or certain individuals to promote a product. Why? Again, because to sway your thinking into a particular way, because society focuses so much attention on celebrities and we sort of govern our lives based on them, this lends credibility to what the argument, whatever the argument is. So, for example, if the writer says that Kim Kardashian uses Lux soap, all of those people who want to be like Kim Kardashian are easily swayed into assuming that her flawless complexion is due to Lux soap and we would inevitably go out and purchase it. Okay, I now hand you over to Rodell who will take you through the questions. Okay, uh, we're not going to go through the questions, but I do want to draw learners' attention to the fact that the breakdown of this paper, the questions and the summary of some of the things that we are discussing is available on the KZN Funda portal. So you can actually go onto the KZN Funda portal and you can access um, the breakdown of these questions. Because of time, we're just going to give you a brief uh, sort of explanation of the two sections and not break down the questions. Um, in terms of this as well, I think that uh, Pravina highlighted some very important key words uh, that you can learn. Uh, go onto the website access this resource document and look at those words learn about um, those phrases credibility validity authenticity which you mentioned very often in each of those techniques that were uh, discussed with you i'm going to give, hand you over to jackie who's going to now look at uh, very briefly some of the points that you need to remember when you're looking at cartoon analysis cartoon analysis is something that most learners struggle with because it is considered to be humorous and most of you, quite frankly, don't find it funny. Now, the point here is to understand that humor is determined in many different forms. Um, you don't necessarily have to be rolling on the floor laughing for the cartoon. You can smile, you can smirk, you can uh, giggle inwardly. But the attitude of the characters in the cartoon, the message of the cartoon is determined by what is in there and your understanding of it is only going to be you're only going to be able to understand it properly if you are able to understand the visual and verbal clues of this cartoon so let me go over them very quickly see dealing with the background of the characters where is the setting of this cartoon uh, who are the characters what are their relations to each other their facial expressions their stance or position towards each other, their body language, um, other things like the expressions on their faces, 
become very, very important for you to be able to define or discern what they are feeling. Many questions in this section deal with you defining the emotion. The second major portion of the cartoon are the verbal clues. This is what is written in the speech bubbles. Now, do not only the speech bubbles can contain words that are in bold font, have excessive punctuation like many exclamation marks, exclamation marks and question marks, um, ellipsis. These punctuation marks give us, the reader, the idea of what the cartoonist character is trying to say. Um, please also take note that it is not only what is inside the speech bubble that gives us verbal clues. Sometimes the speech bubble itself, the type of speech bubble, indicates to us what the writer or or what the cartoonist intended um, for us to understand. For instance, in the cartoon we're looking at here, there is a lack of speech bubbles. The speech bubble is left out because the writer or the cartoonist wants to show that the boy is concentrating on his drawing and the writer is, or the reader is invited into the boy's thought processes. Sometimes the thought bubble can be, uh, the bubble can be a thought bubble to show you it is the person's thoughts. It can also be the speech bubble or it can be in a square block or it can be even blank. We need to go over these, we need to be able to identify them in order for us to understand the cartoon. Um, now also another thing to take note in the cartoon is the sequence of events. Obviously the cartoon is a storyline. What happens in the first frame leads on into the next frame and this is important for you to understand because many times you will be asked to contrast or compare why the character has changed from the first frame to the last frame. Look also once more at the two major components, verbal and visual clues, to substantiate your answer. More than anything, please look at the message of the cartoon. The message of the cartoon will give you an understanding also of the humor in the cartoon. What you need to know is what is the purpose of this cartoon? What is the cartoonist trying to say? In this case, it shows the consequences of his actions that the truth hurts. You need to know different types of humor, sarcasm, irony, anticlimax. Things like this help you to understand cartoons. Okay, the last section in paper one is the editing section. We're not going to go through that because the editing section, uh, section covers a wide variety of terminology. Learners, you need to actually go through this. So go through the different, you need to know punctuation, for example, and you need to know the functions of those various punctuation marks. So those kinds of things, as I said to you, are available on KZN Funda portal. You need to go on there, access the resources and see what the various requirements are for paper one. Um, we are now going to conclude. I'm just going to have a very quick one-sentence parting message from each of our teachers here. So I'll start off with Praveena. Learners, the use this time profitably. While it is an uncomfortable period, one fraught with tension and anxiety, do not feel alarmed. Your educators are here to help you, but you use this particular time that you have now profitably so that you do work every single day. Learners, take this as an encouragement that you have the ability to answer these papers. You have learned these skills. Do not be daunted by words. Words are your most powerful tool. Learn how to use them. And finally, practice makes perfect. You've 
got to do past papers if you want to do well in this exam. So there is no such thing as revision just happens like this. You've got to go. I mean, it's a tried and tested method. Every one of us here can tell you that those learners who perform well work on past papers. So we wish you all the very best as you continue with your revision program. Keep up the good work and thank you. That English lesson was brought to you by the KwaZulu-Natal Department of Education.